This is The First Years, a podcast about the unicorns of American agriculture, first-generation farmers, and the guts, grit, determination, and business prowess required to be one. Well, welcome to this episode of The First Years Podcast. Today, it's my joy to chat with Austin Allred. Austin is a dairy farmer from Washington, um, but he didn't grow up on a dairy. Austin, tell us about your farm. Uh, So my farm is in uh, the middle of the state of Washington, Royal City. We milk about 6,000 cows, mostly Jersey, but a lot of those are crosses between Holstein and Jersey. Um, Started the farm. uh, I got into it about eight years ago. Um, my dad helped me get into it, and then as of just a few years ago, we bought out our previous partner, and so now it's uh, it's the majority of it's it's my farm. So we uh, so far so good, loving the cows, loving the uh, the different avenues that we are able to participate in of the different business side of things. So so far so good, we're loving it. So you grew up on a row crop farm right growing like potatoes and um more traditional eastern washington crops how did you decide that you wanted to get into the dairy business um yeah so my family still grows potatoes and apples and cherries and and all those traditional eastern washington crops this farm was next door to uh, my family's farm and so it was kind of a seamless um uh connection that that we uh we get involved with both and and are able to you know improve the farm improve the dairy and have that synergy between the two is really a positive thing yeah so i read that you um started your dairy like um in partnership or in mentorship with nelson faria who is um a dairy farmer now in texas tell me about that what like so you just did you just approach Nelson and say, "Hey, you know we're interested in this dairy. Could I learn about the dairy industry from you, or how did that work? Um, so we were growing feed for Nelson uh, for a long time when Nelson owned the farm for all the time when Nelson owned the dairy um, and there was even times where I would work for Nelson over my dad just <laughs> because I enjoyed the cows so much. Uh-huh. and uh, raised some of Nelson's heifers on some of my dad's pasture land and stuff when I was in high school. So we, we developed a relationship long before the opportunity presented itself to be partners and then a mentor and then, you know, eventually buying them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that relationship started just from the, the farm, the, the growing the crops and the raising the heifers in part. So, and then eventually it just worked out to where he wanted to go to Texas and mm-hmm. and I was just of the age to be able to, learn from him for a few years which was priceless and then you know eventually over time buy that out yeah that's really interesting and i think it's an opportunity that not very many young people get to learn from somebody um that they trust that much and that they you know somebody that's established in the industry and does a good job i think that was probably pretty invaluable for you oh man yeah i can't say enough good things about that that mentorship that nelson um, from Nelson Faria and you know he's obviously an incredible dairy farmer and to be able to learn from him I, it really wouldn't be possible without that mm-hmm. you know, frankly in the dairy industry today yeah interesting to me too I mean this is kind of off subject but 
you so you grew up with growing crops that are, are also I mean, really impacted by trade and export markets, I would assume with cherries and apples. And now you're in dairy, which is the same thing. Um, how is that in Washington? How is that, how is the trade situation impacting you guys, both you on your dairy and then your, your family on the cherries and apples? Um, you know, it's, it's certainly impacting us. We felt it and the milk, the milk price dropped substantially you know overnight when some of those announcements were made um i think on the as far as the cherries and the fruit that i think the speculation was a lot harder than the reality okay. as far as the price drop um it's still price dropped and there was some concerns there but i think the reality didn't hurt as bad as as some of the speculation and, and some of the, the the concerns that were going around mm -hmm. um and on the milk side of things, you know, we're fortunate enough, unlike some of the real crops and the fruit guys, is we not only sell milk, but we buy corn and we buy soybean. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, the margins, it hurt for sure, but the margins weren't as drastic as they would have been if only milk dropped and the the other commodities that we're buying for feed stayed the same. So yeah. we're hoping to fare fine, but we'll see. Yeah. The other thing I read that was interesting, which makes sense given where you are, but that you feed a lot of byproducts too. So like potato waste and fruit that is not necessarily good for um, selling like to consumer markets. Can you speak to mm -hmm. that a little bit? The only other farmer I've ever talked to that has like a similar situation is Greg Hooker. And he lives like in Chowchilla, California. And so he feeds a lot of like I mean, things that you wouldn't think of, like rotten tomatoes and like mm -hmm. gar like garlic that's not fit for grocery store consumption. So I'm just really intrigued by that. Yeah, so we we buy the, the main <clears throat> byproducts we're feeding right now is potatoes and French fries, um, cannery, which is sweet corn from the from the processor. And we're feeding a lot of grape pumice and then mint silage, we call it, which is after they pull the oil out of the mint, we got the rest. Um, really, it, for the most part, those products are, if, if you can get them for the right value, they feed, the cows really like eating them. They're really uh, palatable for the cows. As long as they're consistent on dry matter and nutritional value, then they're a home run. Um, and uh, working with the different processors that we buy the byproducts from, they're just getting better and better at making them more consistent for us. And so really it's just getting to be a win-win-win all around because they have to get rid of them. They make a little bit of money on them and our cows love them. And so yeah. it's been a great, a great asset all around for everyone to be able to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Do you think being the first generation in your family to have a dairy, do you think that that, that um, has impacted your willingness to try different things like feeding byproducts? Because I feel like, you know, for a lot of farmers, they get caught in the, in the, um, maybe the mantra of like that, this is how we do it. So, even you know, we feed corn silage and we feed alfalfa and we feed canola and maybe a little cottonseed and almond holes, depending on where you are. Um, but we're not really willing to try a whole bunch of different things. Do you think that's influenced your business at all? I think so. I think, um, I think I have a special interest 
as, uh, in the farming side and the processing side of some of those fruits and vegetables because that's what I was raised with. Mm-hmm. And and you just see some of the the waste that comes out of there, and they're really good stuff. I mean, it's it's just slightly like the French fries we get. If you look at these French fries we're feeding, I mean, they're just a couple specks away from being in your McDonald's Happy Meal. Um, it, whenever people come and see them, they're like, what in the world? I just ate those. And and we do the same thing for onions during times of the year and, and apples during times of the year. So, I mean, these are good products. I've I've actually gone and taken onions out of our coal pile that we're feeding to the cows and went and cooked them up. <laughs> I just, oh, you can. Yeah, on our dairy, our nieces love to dig through the almond holes and find the actual almonds because there's always a few in there, you know, and eat them. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. I have one niece who will eat them every time, and the other niece just likes to find them, but she doesn't really care for nuts, so she doesn't typically eat them. <laughs> <laughs> but they think that's just the greatest treasure hunt. Yeah, it, to me, the, the feeding the byproducts is really another way that dairies and dairy cows are showing their value and, and being able to not only to, to use those byproducts and convert it into milk and manure and meat just seems to make so much sense to me. And all around, it's just, it's just a positive, it's just a positive thing to be able to um, use byproducts in the cow's digestive system to make something uh, better in meat and milk and manure. So, yeah, uh, it's something I I really enjoy. I like feeding byproducts. The price is right; it, they make a lot of sense. Yeah, that kind of leads me into the next thing I want to talk to you about, and that's your commitment to sustainability on your farm. I know that you're a recent um, sustainability winner at the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy, and I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to um, some of the innovative sustainability projects that you've done on your farm. Yeah, so the latest one we did and the one that uh, we're working through right now is this biofilter. And it's essentially taking um, all the water, all the liquid manure that comes out of our mechanical separators. So um, uh, I guess a brief overview, all the water and all the manure that, that comes in contact with our dairy, our footprint, our drains, all ends up in a central location. And then all that manure and, and dirty water is then put through mechanical separators. The solids come out, and those are all composted. But then we're left with a liquid, uh, a liquid manure after it goes through those systems, which is really expensive and hard to handle. You put it on acres, and it's, it's fine nutrients for the crops, but it's really expensive to get to the crops. So we are then taking that liquid effluent, and we're putting it through this biofilter, which is it's two acres worth of worm beds that we're just sprinkling on the top these this green water this poop water and it settles through these worms these wood chips and then a layer of rocks and it comes out the bottom um clean water that we can irrigate with and put through the circles and and just use as a as an irrigation water an asset to the farm to the crops and and then we also um those nutrients are pulled out and we have a solid a worm casting a poop a worm poop that we're able to take off the top and sell those as a as a kind of a compost soil amendment type. Um, so in the end, we coming out of the backside of the dairy, we have compost, we have worm castings, and then we have irrigation water. So
So those are the three things that we're pulling out of the backside of our dairy, which for so many reasons um, has been really positive and, and has helped us be more profitable, but, you know, in, in some ways more sustainable and just trying to trying to minimize any type of quote unquote waste that's going to be coming off the dairy. That's not going to be an asset because everything that comes out of the back end of a cow is good for a plant. And mm-hmm. so if we can process it right, work it right and get it on in the plants the right way, then, then the manure is, is almost just as valuable as the milk because yeah. it helps grow the food for the next, the next round of feed for the milk. So. Yeah. I, it's funny that you say that, make that comment because I was visiting with a farmer from Indiana a couple of weeks ago and he told me, you know, we're getting to that point um, where our manure is almost worth more than our milk, <laughs> which is really interesting to think about in terms of dollars um, that the, the manure and the nutrients available in that manure would be worth more than the milk is. Um, I just found that to be a really interesting comment. Um, but also, so when I was reading about your farm and reading about your biofilter, in my mind, this is like a machine, right? This is like a something that g- gets added onto your manure separator. That's like a whole nother filtration process. But really, it's using things that are found in nature to filter out this water, right? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, essentially what you're doing is the same thing that um, our soils and our rock layers and the and the earth are doing as the as the water seeps through it down to our wells um it's just concentrated um condensed and that's what we're doing through that that worm separation system that that biofilter um you just you're right you're just taking advantage of the proven theories that that are that are in the earth and then the different incredible digestive systems of the worms and in the different bugs and biology that live within there to really clean your water. It's, it's pretty incredible, really simple, but pretty incredible system. How did you learn about this? Like, how did you just decide like, okay, I'm going to have two acres of worms on my farm. Yeah. So it started about three years ago. Um, and I was still involved with Nelson. I was still partners with Nelson, maybe three and a half years ago. And I went to the Tulare Farm Show, and these guys were there. Um, I mean, they do a lot of water treatment for different municipalities, for wineries, for different uh, vegetable processors, for milk plants. They have they have done um, water treatment in all those different industries. And so they were just kind of getting into the dairy thing. And so we put in a pilot on our farm, which was just um, about 5,000 square feet of worms and we played with that for a couple of years putting our green water our our, you know, our our poop water on that and seeing how it worked through the worms and seeing how much cleaner it came out and then after two two and a half years of that is when we decided to put in the eighty one thousand square feet of worms and worm beds and and that's what we're dealing with now so it's so interesting the Tulare farm show is where i found it <laughs> short answer yeah, amid all those boots and all that information, yeah. there they were. Yep. That's yep. so interesting. Um, what do you think has been your biggest challenge in starting your dairy as a beginning farmer? Like, what do you think was the biggest hurdle to to get over? Um, I mean, 
for me personally, I had, I have so much to learn and had so much to learn. There's just, there's so many intricate pieces to running a dairy and having a dairy. Um, so just all that learning, but I think for me and a lot of dairy farmers today, I think, uh, on top of that list is manure management and figuring out how to handle the manure so that we can get the full value out of it. Cause like I said, it's not, it's not waste so much. It's just in certain, in certain, uh, processes, it's just, it's not as valuable as in other processes you put it through. So just figuring out the most economical way to process it, to work it, to separate it so that in the end you can have, you can have fertilizer and manure and, and soil amendments that are, are an asset something you yeah. can sell something you can use to benefit your farm instead of you know what what so many people want to categorize as a waste or some sort of um you know liability on a farm it's, i don't think it has to be that way because it's all valuable good stuff we just got to treat it process it separate it to make it so you can you can apply it as a you know as an asset mm-hmm. when you started your dairy was your family supportive or were they like, what are you doing? Like, just continue doing what we do. Oh yeah. They were supportive. Um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is because it's really a great synergy to the farm. I mean, I say my, my family is a potato farmer, but five year, five years in between potato crops, they need to have something to grow. And so having all these cows is a great benefit because they can grow corn and, and triticale and alfalfa in the meantime, you know, in their rotations. So in that way, it's great. And then since then, you know, they've started using compost a whole bunch on their farms to, to strengthen their soil. So having the dairy um, in, in team, you know, in, as a team uh, with the farm has been a great benefit to the farm. Hmm. That's so cool. I would never have thought, I mean, obviously I think of the, the normal things that you would think of like manure and like having somewhere, you know, they have a place to source manure if they need it. But I didn't think about like adding in crops that may not be value added for them, but are value added for you that can benefit their soils and their rotations too. That's pretty interesting mm-hmm. to think about. And I also didn't realize there is a five year, you have to wait a five year window between potato crops. Ideally. Yeah. Four or five years, depending on your soil type and stuff. But yeah, if you plant potatoes, much closer together than that, then you're going to have, you know, a lot more disease and a lot more challenges and you're not as, not as good, effective, uh, productive potatoes yields. That's so interesting. I had no idea. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, there's one question that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Um, and that is to what do you credit your success? Do you think that it's, you know, lucky timing or do you think that it's skill or maybe a combination of both? You know, I think I would credit to really good mentors um, when it comes to dairy farming and business, Nelson Faria business and, and a lot of other stuff, my father. Um, so just being able to have a lot of people in my circle, on my team that I can rely on and trust and share everything with and get good feedback has been priceless for me and, and this new venture that I took on a few years ago. Yeah, I can imagine so. I think that's one thing that, I mean, I think we talk about it a lot in the sense of like, 
you should get a mentor. Everyone needs a mentor, but we don't really talk about like the practical of like, how do I find that person? sounds like for you, that was an easy fit because Nelson was your neighbor. Um, Mm -hmm. But for other beginning farmers, I think there's an opportunity there um, for the industry as a whole to try to help pair up um, beginning farmers and, and young farmers that, you know, grew up in the industry, but with older mentors, um, because there's definitely value there for sure. Yeah, I agree. Certainly bringing some of the old with the new and having the two different paradigms to bring together is going to make altogether a better, better unit for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's, it was such a treat to learn about your farm. Um, until next week, guys, that's this episode of the first years. Mm-hmm.